HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Appeal. Appeal is a plant-based protective layer that helps produce last up to twice as long. Learn more at appeal.com. Good evening and welcome to Eating Matters, where we talk about food systems and policy and how it impacts all of us. I'm your host, Jenna Liute, and we're broadcasting on Heritage Radio Network. I'm so pleased to be joined today by my friend and food system superstar, Danielle Nirenberg. Danny is a co-founder and president of Food Tank, a nonprofit focused on building a global community for safe, healthy, nourished eaters. A world-renowned researcher, activist, and thought leader, Danny is a champion for underrepresented voices in the industry on a mission to build a more equitable food system. Danny, welcome to Eating Matters. Oh my gosh, Jenna, it's so nice to hear your voice. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thank you for being here. Um, and you know, before we get into uh, all of the questions, I want to first offer you a huge congratulations on winning this year's Julia Childs Award given by the Julia Child Foundation for Gastronomy and the Culinary Arts. What a incredible, very well-deserved honor. Thank you so much. I'm still in shock and I've known about it for months. <laughs> so, yes. um, it's, uh, it's, it's, I, I'm so happy that Food Tank is being recognized in this way and that my co-founder, Bernie Pollock, I accepted on his behalf as well, um, that we're, you know, able to use this as a forum to, to increase awareness about some of the issues that we really care about. Yeah. Well, I was so, could not be um, to a to a better person, and you are joining the ranks of some like really impressive people, like um, Jose Andreas, Jacques Pepin. I mean, it, and it seems like you were the first person who is not a chef to win. Did I get that right? Yeah, Danny Meyer won it a few years ago, also from St. Louis originally, like I am. But um, yeah. he, you know, he's still chefy in his way, as far as I'm concerned, and such yes. a you know a great. Um, hospitality person. So yeah, it's the first year it's been given to somebody who's, who's not like, you know, I can cook, but not <laughs> like those folks for sure. <laughs> Same. So do you think this means there's like, you know, an increase in awareness on the focus on food system reform from the culinary industry? Yeah. I mean, I think the, the Julia Child Foundation and, and the team behind the Julia Child Award really made a concerted effort to make a statement this year 
and and really highlight advocacy. And you know, the the award was decided ironically before COVID hit, um, and and so they were sort of uh, you know uh, psychic a little bit in their in their giving it to an advocacy person because I, I think these issues have just been so much more highlighted because of COVID. Than ever before, and and you know, I, I think um you know whether they had given it to me or another advocate, I think it was a good decision to sort of step away from um the chef focus, which is great. You know, there's so many chefs doing amazing things in advocacy as well as you know, but to to really highlight um uh, an advocacy organization, I, I I think they made a good decision. Obviously, I, I'm very excited about it, but <laughs> I just think you know they they were thinking forward and, and, you know, it, it's hard to do that right now when so much is sort of pressing on us because of the pandemic and the climate crisis and everything else. Yeah. All those fun things. <laughs> so fun. <laughs> yeah. So great. Um, all right. Well, tell us about the work that you, that you do at Food Tank. So Food Tank is a research and advocacy organization and we try, um, our, our mission is kind of a simple one. We started with this very simple idea of trying to tell stories of hope and success in the food system, both internationally and domestically. I've had this amazing opportunity um, to travel to 70 plus countries around, around the world at this point, you know, listening to hundreds and hundreds of farmers and uh, policymakers and journalists and advocates and, and scientists and agronomists and extension workers and just the whole range of, of food system uh, stakeholders and, and hear their thoughts about what it's taking to alleviate hunger um, and poverty, to, to combat um, the climate crisis, to, to find ways to alleviate obesity. And, and what we've always wanted to do is shine a spotlight on the individuals and organizations who are doing this good work, who don't get heard as much as they, they should be. I mean, I think a lot of attention goes to big research institutions or or well-funded and charismatic sort of nonprofit organizations. But the real work is often, you know, really happening at the very grassroots level. And, and we wanted to make sure that there was greater awareness of, of those things taking place, whether they were in Senegal or in San Diego or wherever around the world and, and make sure that, you know, again, we could sort of amplify those voices. We, we're, we're, you know, uh, sort of trying to be a megaphone for those those voices that have either not been heard or not heard enough. And what were you doing prior to Food Tank? Like how, if you look, kind of look back at your career, how did you come to start the organization in 2013? And what, what was the, the motivation to do so? I had been working right out of graduate school at an environmental organization. And if you had asked me when I was 16 years old where I wanted to work, it was this place. It was called the World Watch Institute. And it was founded by a, a very famous environmentalist. I mean, I was a you know, a big nerd in, in high school, obviously, and, you know, um, like read everything that they put out. They put out a magazine, they put out books every year. They just were seemed like the smartest people on the planet to me. And when I was in graduate school, I interned there and then sort of made them hire me. And when I, when I left, I had started a project called Nourishing the Planet. And at that point, we had traveled to, I don't know, 25 countries in Africa, 26 maybe at that point, sort of documenting agricultural innovation. And we put out a book called Innovations That Nourish the Planet. And, um, you know, that experience, I'd, I'd done a lot of traveling. I was a Peace Corps volunteer a million years ago. I'd done a lot of traveling all over the world, especially in the global south. But that's, that, that experience 
you know, in sub-Saharan Africa from around 2009 to 2011, you know, sort of post food and financial crisis, but it was still going on, showed me how much hope there was in the midst of a lot of, you know, of the bad things, you know, extreme poverty, um, extreme malnutrition, in some cases, extreme malnutrition and obesity happening in the same communities, but that there was so much else happening that was positive and powerful and, and impactful. And again, wanting to to, you know, to sort of shout out to the world, like, hey, look, look here, there are all these great projects going on that nobody knows about. They, and, and if they had a little bit more attention focused on them or a little bit more funding behind them or some research dollars, they could, you know, scale up and out and be replicated in so many different ways. If, but again, if only, if, if only people knew about them, if only philanthropists knew about them, if only companies heard about them, et cetera. And so that was kind of the impetus behind food tank going from, you know, this, you know, environmental organizations tend to, to, to be very gloomy, you know, they, they have to be in, in some respects. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to sort of shake up that paradigm and, and shine, you know, uh, a spotlight on like the positive things and, and give them the attention that, that, that they really deserve. Has your mission or work shifted or evolved over the years? Um, and what's, what's changed if so? Yeah, I mean, I think when we first started, we were like, we'll be like a, a hub for, you know, news and connecting people. And, mm-hmm. you know, in about year two, we started having um, we more events and, and bigger events and bringing lots of different stakeholders together. And, and so we became a really sort of bigger convening arm than I ever imagined, you know, and, and a networking arm. And um, we've had summits, you know, all over the United States and, and before COVID had plans to expand them internationally. But, you know, we've had them in, in LA and San Francisco and in New York and, and then, you know, Chicago and then smaller food talk events that you've had. Um, we were so pleased that you, you were able to be a moderator at one of those events, bringing so many different people together. And, and I, I think, you know, if you had asked me, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, would I be talking to executives and and leadership at, at some of the major food companies in, in, you know, the world or even some of the smaller, medium-sized startups, uh, you know, I, I would have said, no, I don't, I don't want to have anything to do with companies. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're, they're part of the problem. And I think how I've evolved personally and how Food Tank and Bernard and my co-founder and I have evolved personally is, you know, realizing that if we don't include those voices from, you know, the corporate world and the startup world, then we're not going to make the change that is needed to really, um, you know, propel the food system forward in a, in a positive way that makes the, the, a real difference that not only feeds people, but also gets at the social justice and inequity and inherent, you know, racial inequity that's been happening. So um, I think those are, those are kind of the biggest changes that we've We've had those convenings and, and we're talking to folks that we probably thought we would never talk to before. Right. Yeah. Um, and so in terms of, I mean, certainly um, you have like an incredibly diverse uh, group of speakers at your event, which I really appreciate. I think that talking in our own echo chambers, you know, advocate to advocate doesn't really move the needle and you need to have everybody at the table um, together. Um, but sometimes it leads to like 
uncomfortable conversations, right? Yeah. And I mean, how do you kind of navigate those waters? And have you gotten pushback for even having some of these people at the table? Oh, like, yeah. like McDonald's, you know? Every day of my life, I mean, I get some email or some phone call from people who are like, I can't believe you're, you know, you're including those voices. And, and I, you know, I embrace, I, you know, it's not fun to be uncomfortable, but I, I think that's what we all have to embrace, especially now. We all have to have more uncomfortable conversations, not only around, you know, the, the corporate side of, of the food and agriculture system, but also, you know, the uh, around our own biases and, and, and those racial and social inequities that we've, I think so many of us have been scared to talk about, but, you know, COVID has exposed so much, you know, it's, it's lifted the veil and on, on so many yeah. things that are happening to food workers, the terrible mur- murders that have happened um, by police of, of, you know, people like Breonna Taylor, we can't hide <laughs> anymore. We, we have to address these things. And so I think food tank, you know, because we've been trying to have these uncomfortable uh, conversations for a long time and we kind of embrace it and we force it. We, yeah. you know, we, we want bluntness and we don't allow people to have PowerPoints at our conferences or, and we, you know, I'm the only person who really gets to bring notes on stage. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it, it forces people to like be themselves and, and to sort of embrace it. And, and I think that's, that's the way we all have to be now. We can't, we can't get around that anymore. And I, I think that's a good thing. So you were like, basically what I'm hearing you say is that you were ready for 2020. <laughs> I wish I could say that. No, but- you were like, get uncomfortable. <laughs> we're, we've- here we go. Yeah, here we go. We're, we're ahead of, we're ahead of the world in this. Well, it's funny, it- sorry. It's funny that you bring that up though, because I've been obsessed with zoonotic diseases. I used to do a lot of work on, on factory farming and, and livestock. And I, you know, like I always thought that some sort of pandemic like this would yeah. happen, but I thought I'd be long gone. And so yeah. to sort of see your worst fear come true is, yeah. is uh, not great. that fun. Yeah, no, you're like that. Um, <laughs> I think that's like what it's called, what, what my therapist has referred to as like catastrophizing, you know, I'm not supposed to do that. Um, but I'm like, but then what happens when it happens, you know? <laughs> Like, yeah. Aha! I me stressing out about it all the t- all this time. Um, no. So, uh, well, what about a success story like of having this, like a food industry representative at the table or at one of your um, events? Like, has there been a success story where, like, you guys, you know, a solution you came to some sort of solution or agreement or like people walked away? Yeah, um, there there. There are a couple. One is with a major sort of fruit producer who I will not name. And the other is a major sort of farm workers union that I will not name. And they, before they met, we had a dinner before one of our summits. And this was the first time that, you know, individuals from from both sides of those organizations had met. And they, they, you know, Bernie likes to say that they were sort of trading barbs through press releases and Twitter before that. And they actually sat down and like had a really nice conversation and realized that they were both just kind of like, you know, people. And I think that's what gets lost in this. You forget that there's humans on on, the, on both sides of these issues. And they made some headway and they're, they continue to talk. And I think that's really impactful. They've, you know, developed a relationship and they, they talk more frequently. Um, there were also some, some uh, 
I, I think some wins on sort of the congressional side. We had two members of the House Ag Committee who'd never talked to each other, even in the Ag Committee, sit down wow. across from dinner. I sat next to one of them. And, and the other was on the other side of the table, you know, Democrat talking to a Republican about like composting and gardening because that's what they had in common. And, yeah. you know, and I think those kinds of, you know, relationship building, um, you know, the, the relationship building aspect of, of what Food Tank does, I think is really, you know, what if that happened every day instead of just at like a food tank summit? That, that, that's what should be happening. And those folks should be talking to each other. And if we can help facilitate that in even a small way and have those, you know, sort of isolated examples yeah. and then examples that like, you know, happen that we don't even know about. There have been people who showed up at our, our summits that, you know, have gone on to take those ideas home and, you know, we're hearing about them now sort of, and, you know, didn't know that they were happening right then or people who met, we, we know of a couple of instances where people met at our, our events and started a farm together. Um, oh my we've gosh. heard of, of, of people who met at our events who eventually got married, <laughs> you know? So there are all kinds wow. of things that ha happen at, at food tank events that I never could have predicted. I was just hoping that like, you know, there was good conversation, people learned a lot or they learned something that they didn't know and, and went away with it. But like people are finding jobs and networking and, 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 you know, again, getting uncomfortable and being blunt with one another in ways that, you know, again, I couldn't have anticipated, you know, seven years ago when Food Tank started. Do you think it makes people like more willing to compromise when they kind of get together in person and can connect on like a more human level that they are eventually more likely to just like give on certain things? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if the right word is compromise. I think what they discover is the ability to change their minds and not feel bad about it, to look at it as a win. I mean, mm. I think that's something that has been so lost that like, if you change your mind, you've somehow, you know, you, you lose. And right. I think it's the opposite. Like you win because you learned something and you weren't, you know, you weren't holding on to like what I was holding on to when I came out of Peace Corps, that corporations were all bad and villainous or that, you know, all scientists who worked for, you know, a particular company, all villainous, uh, yeah. the ability to change your mind, I feel like is the, the most human, uh, sort of cool thing that we can do. And, and, and we don't do enough of it because we get set in our ways and we hang on to those things. So what in this post COVID COVID world, I mean, you, I mean, food tanks, you know, if we talk about it being an incredible convener, um, how has, how has COVID changed your work? Mm, I mean, we had to pivot. We, you know, when everything started getting canceled, like I was supposed to go to Expo West that week, um, and, and moderate a pan, you know, a couple of panels and just, we had to pivot very quickly and, um, you know, talking to you, I know you're, you work so closely with your podcast producer. Like we talked to our podcast producer and he's, we're, we're like, we want to go, uh, you know, virtual and do like our podcast, not just record it, but like do it live. And what we decided is that every day we were going to interview one or two experts live and ask them how they were dealing with things. Like how, you know, mm -hmm. we interviewed um, the Chaffan Foundation to figure out how they were like going to handle school feeding programs as schools were shutting down. We interviewed Dan Barber as, you know, Blue Hill was being shut down and they were like, you know, pivoting to to restaurant boxes and, you know, interviewed former U.S. Secretary of Agriculture, Dan Glickman, about like what he thought, uh, you know, 
the, the challenges were and like, you know, said some really cool stuff about like, he, he's like, this is making us realize that food is our first medicine. And, you know, mm-hmm. just interviewing all these people and getting um, their, their thoughts and their perspectives and, you know, doing that for the last seven, almost eight months, I guess now has been so enlightening and so cool and, and, and sort of reminded me that like, humans adapt so quickly people like food tank pivoted right we had to um um, but these other organizations farmers markets who changed all of their practices and had drive up boxes in early march and then you know when they were able to open and keep social distancing in place and and doing all these things and every day you hear about folks are pivoting it's just been really sort of like a wow moment for me because I I guess I could never have predicted this. I thought, you know, I probably had less faith than I do now in sort of the human race and this ability to like, just keep going. And it's been really cool to hear all the the exciting things that are happening in the midst of such a a huge tragedy. Yeah. Um, I mean, and that's, um, and that's like the, you know, the positive spin on it. Um, let me be the pessimist. (laughs) No, actually, I mean, I wanted to ask like Mary in Marion Nessel's new book, which I know that you've, um, spoken with her about, she of course writes that COVID exposed it, um, contradictions and inequalities of our food system. Do you think this could be like a, like a turning point and a wake up call for more people to get involved in food system reform? I think it has to be, if it's not, then we've totally missed our moment and I'm giving up. Do you know that I so yeah. we we can't. This is this is it. This is we cannot go back to the way things were. And and if we do, we've lost we've lost such a huge opportunity. For, I mean, it, we have to take some silver linings out of this. We have to find the right spots, and and that's one of them. If we go back to the way things were, geez, I mean, I you know tr- trying to sort of look back, you know, on on the nineteen eighteen. Uh, flu pandemic and how people sort of changed after that. Like I'm, I'm, I'm curious about like, you know, how people did things differently. And I hope that like we can learn from that kind of experience, but I I think we will have missed a huge opportunity. So like, it's kind of like my mission and food tanks mission right now to make sure that that doesn't happen. And, you know, we're trying to figure out how we can put together all the voices that we've heard over the last several months and, and that we'll continue to hear from into some sort of, not like a manual, but maybe a book that we can come out with next year in, in advance of the UN Food Systems Summit, which, you know, I, I think that that's a really pivotal moment for the world. The last time that there was a such a big event around uh, around the food system convened by, by the United Nations was in 1974. And, wow. and so to have this, you know, this was being planned before COVID hit, mm-hmm. to have sort of, you know, some... Um, ideas in place, a roadmap or an outline in place of how we can move forward after this. And and so many other organizations are doing the same thing. I think, you know, we'll have a lot of fodder for discussion when that, that, when that conference actually happens and, and countries and communities and, you know, civil society can come together and really discuss these things in a concerted way. But I I think going there that we can't go back to the way things were. That's just, you know, the, too much has been exposed. And, and, and I think you're seeing how consumers are, are changing their buying practices, those that can, right? Those, that, mm-hmm. those of us who are lucky enough to be able to work from home and have, you know, 
income to change our buying practices and and you know want more regenerative organic food or food from from local and regional farmers and and really trying to eat healthy those are those changes are happening but they're not happening for everyone and i i think that's you know that's the sort of the next step that's the next fight that we have to be fighting is how can we make you know food a really a human right that's accessible and affordable for everyone yeah um Speaking of human rights, a um, bit of a pivot here, but you have done quite a bit of work around the issue of gender equality and our food system. Um, and I think the intersection of these two issues, maybe apart from restaurant life, might not be so obvious to people. And yet the importance of educating and empowering women services key solutions um, to everything from climate change to creating a sustainable food future to addressing the hunger crisis. Can you tell us a little bit more about the work that you have done in this area? Yeah, I mean, gender and and um, is something that's always you know been part of the work that that I've done and 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 that Food Tank does. But I, you know, when you look at when women and girls have access to education and other resources, you you see that they're able to you know do things like you do family planning, right? When, when girls and women are educated, they can control how many children they want to have. And that's, you know, a big sort of, um, uh, obvious step in, 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 in the road towards, you know, better development for, for lots of, uh, folks in the global South. When, when you look at the agriculture system, women make up of 43%, at least 43% of the global agricultural labor force. And in, in some countries, they make up to, you know, 70, 80 or 80 percent of all farmers. So it's really women who are, you know, growing a, a big portion of the world's food, but yet they lack access to, again, education, banking and financial um, information or, um, you know, credit. They, they lack access to, you know, land in a lot of cases or they get the worst land. Um, so, you know. There's been a lot of research done that if women had the same access uh, to resources as their male counterparts, they could lift as many as 150 million people out of hunger. And it's wow. just such a stark, you know, realization that we're ignoring women in the food system at our own peril. You know, if, if yeah. it, it, it's only going to help us if if women are are empowered and able to empower themselves and able to make decisions for themselves. Um, you know, in the realm of agriculture, of course, but in, in, in every aspect of their lives. And so, it, you know, um, it's, yeah. it's something that we should all think more about. Yeah, I mean, I was going to ask, why is this so often overlooked? But just yesterday, I was at a the Women's March, <laughs> where, you know, I feel like we're um, right still now. Still fighting. I, yeah, still fighting, <laughs> you know, still fighting to keep things that, you know, were we thought were settled like 50 years ago. And um, so never mind. <laughs> Crazy, Forget that right? question. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, uh, I don't know. So, anyways, will that? I mean, I I think that's part of your work that I'm that I personally am like so passionate about, and um, I am excited to see maybe like how you know the how COVID will have affected women and. And could it have possibly could it possibly like empower more women in the future for whatever reason? Uh, yeah, I mean, what I'm ex I, in addition to that, like I think there's a lot of 
you know, time for reflection, right? So people who've been at home and like sort of wanted to be entrepreneurs before this, I think a lot of women-owned businesses are going to come out of this, especially in the United States. Like women who had ideas about like a product or an innovation or, you know, something that they, they've always wanted to do and they'll be able to get it off the ground because they're testing it, you know, in their basement or their kitchen or whatever. So I, I think there's going to be some really, you know, cool um, you know, entrepreneurial spirit that comes out of, of, of the pandemic. You know, I, I hear a lot about how, you know, people are writing more and artists are creating more, but I also think, you know, entrepreneurial women are doing a lot of stuff that we'll hear about in a few years because it happened during COVID. Yeah. Okay. I have two more issue-based questions for you, and then we are going to take a break. But my, but, um, my first question is on messaging. And it's, it's around the, the, how do you kind of balance the messaging between the fact that, you know, when you look at overall food system reform, what needs to happen, you know, I think a lot of the questions or a lot of the, the solutions, um, or, sorry, I think a lot of the problems could be solved to some extent by spending more money on the food that we purchase that, you know, the idea that, that cheap food is bad for everyone involved. Um, but yet like food insecurity is at an all time high. So how do you kind of reconcile these like conflicting, um, realities? And when you talk about what needs to happen. When we're talking about the food system and like, you know, this idea of, 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 you know, true cost accounting in the food system that, you know, cheap food is bad for everyone. Um, you have to start talking about like human rights issues. You have to start talking about a, a living wage and you have to start talking about like, you know, equal rights for, for everyone and what that means. And you have to start talking about dismantling, you know, structural racism. And these are uncomfortable. These were uncomfortable topics before COVID. They're uncomfortable now, but at least they're now being talked about. So, I mean, you know, we've always sort of looked at this as, you know, if you want to change the food system, you have to talk about a living wage. You have to talk about campaign finance reform. You have to talk about Mm -hmm. all of these things that nobody knows the answer to. But like the fact that they're finally being sort of discussed, I think is, is, amazing and 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 uh again it's been something that we've 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 tried to do and struggled with but always sort of brought up um you know at summits or at events or on the podcast or in writing but now other people are too and i think that's you know we weren't the first ones obviously but so many organizations are like oh yeah we have to think about this now and I, i i think that's a real win. Um, and it's not because Food Tank did it, obviously. We're too, we're small. We're, we're a drop in the bucket when it comes to nonprofits. But like the circumstances that we've all been under and, and you know, the uprisings that have happened over the summer and continue to happen, I think have, have forced us all to, to realize that a reckoning is coming about and we need to be on, on the, the, you know, the good side of that and, and not the bad one. Yeah. And just, I think in general, the absolute need for all of us to be more, um, engaged, you know, we need yeah. a more engaged citizenry and, um, you know, this is what happens when, uh, we like fall asleep at the wheel. Yeah. My, my, um, friend, Dr. Bob Martin at the center for a livable future at Johns Hopkins likes to talk about this idea of a citizen eater, like, you know, 
whether you think there's a food movement in the United States or not, and a lot of people don't think there is, and you know, I, I don't know, you know, it, it, it depends on on how you think of what a movement looks like. But if if we can build, and, and Sam Cass has talked about this too, if you can build a group of people who like actually vote and lobby on behalf of like a more equitable food system, that could be really powerful. Yeah. And it, you know, and, and whether it's at the federal level, which it certainly needs to happen, but I think what we've seen over the last three and a half years or, or a little bit more now is that it's been happening at the state and local level at school boards with better procurement and, you know, yeah. mayors taking on the climate crisis. Those are all really, you know, exciting things to me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And also the realization that, um, that it ne- doesn't necessarily have to be like a food specific issue that it can, you know, the, the effects of like a, a living, yeah. a livable wage, like trickles down to, um, you know, sort of every aspect of the food system. Absolutely. Um, I'm curious um, what you would, if you could, if you could give us an example of how you've seen tech applied in either the food or ag space that really demonstrates a, a, like a truly scalable and sustainable solution. Yeah. Um, one that I think works and that should be funded and scaled up, you know, immediately is what Wholesome Wave and Michelle Nishan have been doing with um these pilot projects allowing um, SNAP clientele, people who are using um, SNAP benefits or what Mm -hmm. are commonly referred to as food stamps online. So enabling them to um, order their groceries in the same way you and I have probably been doing for the last several months online, Mm -hmm. you know, because we didn't want to go to grocery stores, Um, you know, allowing SNAP recipients to do the same thing. Uh, And, and that's, game changing, right? Because if you have, especially during the pandemic, if you have elderly uh, folks or, you know, um, young parents who it's, it's hard for them to leave the house or they're, you know, working three jobs right now to, to you know, pay for the rent. If they're able to order groceries, you know, that they uh, online, that's game changing for them and, and get it delivered. You know, I, it's just astounding to me that this hasn't been ramped up in bigger ways. And they're, you know, it's not just Wholesome Wave, but they're like one of my favorite organizations and they deserve so much credit for the work that they have done um, to, to really implement that and, and hopefully get it scaled up in a bigger way. Um, and then, you know, what bothers me, I, I'm a big nerd about food tech and ag tech because I think there's so many interesting things going on, but what has always bothered me and the questions that I always have to ask myself is like, you know, who, who's in control of the technology? Who's making money from the technology? What problem is it actually trying to solve? Mm-hmm. And what I think has happened for so long is that farmers or the, the, the you know, but mostly farmers, but or the, the, the you know, the, the group that are being sort of the, the technology is being targeted at, they haven't been involved in the development of, of it from the beginning. It hasn't been participatory. It hasn't, mm. you know, been some like, you know, we don't go enough to to farmers and ask them like, hey, what problems what do, you do you have? Yeah. Right. What do you need? Like what Exactly. And so I, I think, you know, we're seeing more of that participatory aspect. But there are so many like you know, you and I would probably think they're cool technologies and they are, but they don't actually solve the problems that need to be solved. And that's the, you know, that's the issue. And, and too much money is being spent on things that aren't going to ultimately help the people who need them the most. So, okay, we're going to take a really quick commercial break and hear a word from our sponsors, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. 
This episode is brought to you by Appeal. Here at HRN, we care about reducing waste across our food system, from farms to home kitchens. We know that about half the produce we grow ends up in the trash. We all want to enjoy produce at peak freshness and reduce the amount that gets thrown away. That's where Appeal comes in. Appeal is a plant-based protective layer that helps produce last up to twice as long. It's edible, invisible, and imitates how peels naturally protect fruits and vegetables. Because here's the thing, less waste doesn't just mean we're throwing less food away, it also means we waste less water, energy, and other resources that go into growing produce. Appeal works with nature to reduce waste across the food system, from the farm to the kitchen. Appeal helps us conserve our precious resources to ensure we have fresh food to meet our growing need. Appeal, food gone good. Learn more at appeal.com. And we're back. We're today <laughs> speaking with Danny Nirenberg, president and co-founder of Food Tank. Okay, so um, I now want to ask you to look into your crystal ball. Um, this is like the most fun part for me. So I would love to hear what you think are going to be the seminal issues in the next year or two to come apart from COVID. I think food for health is going to become like the biggest issue over the next year because we've seen how um, those who are most impacted by COVID already have, you know, pre-existing conditions like um, heart disease or hypertension or obesity that make it harder for them to fight the fight um, the virus. And so I think food for health, food as medicine are going to become even more important issues than they already are. Um, and, and, and that's exciting to me, right? Because you have like, there's not just, you know, people like you and me who are interested in it, but like getting mm -hmm. more nutritionists involved, there's not as much data and, and research and, and, you know, nutrition as you would think there is. And, and, and so having more government, I think, support of, of looking into the nutritional impacts of what we eat on human health. I think that's really exciting and, and, and much needed. And, and folks like I mentioned Dan Glickman before, but also Dr. Dari Mazafarian at Tufts University are calling for this. And I think when you have, you know, well-respected uh, individuals like saying, okay, this is what we need and, and, and pushing for it on a government level. I think that's really exciting. I think, you know, the, you know, going back to what we've seen with, um, you know, the uprisings and, 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 you know, all the terrible stuff that's gone on, but also so much inspiring, you know, movement building from Black Lives Matter and, and other groups like, I think, you know, we are at a real tipping point in this country and a real reckoning around how to make the, the food system more um, racially diverse for sure, but also to make sure that we're addressing those, those things that you and I talked about before, the inherent structural racism that's been part of the food system for so long. And, and you know, getting all eaters to understand that our, our American food system was built on the backs of people who came to this country and were enslaved and, and understanding the real history of how um, uh, food and agriculture here and who we should be, you know, sort of thanking for, for a lot of the innovation around food. Leah Penniman um, from Soul Fire Farm is so good mm -hmm. at talking about this and, and understanding, you know, 
what what has happened in this country and 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 how to fix it. And so I I think those are kind of the two biggest issues for me, you know, looking ahead over the next year. And there's going to be lots of policies that are going to need to be formed. And you know, if if there's a new administration in place, we're going to have re you know build have to rebuild our our U.S. Department of Agriculture. Mm-hmm. We're going to have to rebuild the State Department, which does a lot of work on on food through. Um, USAID. So there's there's a lot of rebuilding and restructuring. Yeah, and the EPA. Take place. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. the EPA for yeah. sure. <laughs> and you know our National Institutes of Health, and you know whatever other government agency that's been dismantled. And I, you know, yeah. it's clear who I, you know, what what sort of side I, I lean towards. But I think it, you know, those things all have to happen, and and they have to happen quickly for for us to get back to a place where we can actually make the change that's needed. Um, what about one, and I, I apologize in advance because I feel like I don't know how I would answer this, but one policy you would enact if you could just wave a magic wand that would have the greatest impact on our food system now. Oh, holy. I know. Yeah. It's, it's sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I mean, oh gosh, like, there's no. so many. Yeah, there's not I, one. <laughs> I just want to restructure every food. I mean, I think, you know, it's been talked about for years by people much smarter than me. Uh, we we need uh, a, a national food policy. We need a, a, a food, you know, policy secretary for this country. We, 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 we just don't need an agriculture secretary. We need a food secretary. And it's something I talked to Jose Andres about um uh, during the, the the Julia Child um, and Food History Weekend events, and and the idea of, of of having somebody who's focused on food, who sits at the highest level, you know, yeah. of of the U.S. cabinet, that would be amazing. We need to be talking about food and, and nutrition at high levels rather than dividing it between you know the FDA and the USDA. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, great job on that question. I'm sorry. I know it was like super like, annoying. What? I, I know. I'm like, I've got a really annoying question for you. Are you ready? <laughs> um, well, what about a specific issue or stance that you personally have kind of changed your mind on over the years? Has there been anything or is you, have you pretty much like, you know, got it right the first time. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to go back to what I said before. I, if I was such a, a hippie and I, if you had said, oh, one day you'll be talking to, you'll be, you'll be speaking at, at Bear Crop Sciences annual conference. I would have looked at you and said, oh no, I won't. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. And, and I have, and, or you, you'll, you, you're not going to have Monsanto scientists on stage at one of your events yeah. or you're, you're, and I, and I have, or you're not going to be talking to, you know, um, the sustainability director at McDonald's and I have, you know, and, and I think that's been a, that's been the biggest change that I've seen in, in me personally. And it's not that I agree with them. I mean, I don't want people to misunderstand it's, but it, it again, it's that ability to listen and put people uh, you know, to, to understand that they, yeah, they're just people. They like, you know, they yeah. have families and they, you know, have to cook dinner every night and, you know, figure out what to wear the next day, just like I do. And so I think it's, you know, just sort of understanding that we can't villainize everyone, um, you know, uh, who, who are part of those corporations we don't like, but we can mm-hmm. work with them to try to change things or, you know, keep chipping away as much as possible to, to try to change things. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, best book 
or two you've read recently. I'm saying this and you should know that like I get my reading material from your lists. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, that Let's Ask Marion book, it's, it's so perfect. Jenna, it's the most yeah. perfect little book. When I talk to Marion about it, it just makes me happy. <laughs> because it's red and it's tiny and like it fits in my hand and, yeah. and it's been um, really, really good for me. Um, Perilous Bounty I, I, uh, by Tom Philpott uh, from Mother Jones, who's one mm-hmm. of my favorite food and agriculture writers. I think that book should be on everybody's bookshelf because he writes in such a way that makes everything seem like, you know, you could be talking to him in your backyard, you know, holding a beer. Do you know what yeah. I mean? And it's yeah. very understandable and very relatable. Um, I, because um, Francis Moore Lapay's uh, Diet for a Small Planet, which is a book that I've talked about a lot, really changed my life when I picked up a battered copy of it as a teenager. Um, the 50th anniversary uh, edition of it is coming out next year. So I like have been looking through what she wrote when she was like 26 years old. Wow, like she was yeah. writing about this stuff before anyone thought about it. I yeah. think that's such a great book. Um, what else have I been looking at? Um, I've been reading more cookbooks lately, not necessarily cooking the things out of them, but, <laughs> you know, getting ideas. Um, Dana Gunders, uh, what is the name of her? She uh, is a food waste expert for Reefa. Let me mm-hmm. find out the, um, I've used her book a lot this summer to actually cook. What is oh. the name of it? It is, where is it? It's the Waste-Free Kitchen. Ah, Is that it? Is that what it's called? Yeah, Waste-Free Kitchen Handbook by Dana Gunders. Because um, for the first time in a long time, my husband travels a lot for work. Uh, he's an agricultural economist. So he's, you, you know, he and I are out of the country a lot. For the first time since we've been married, we were able to have like, you know, our own garden. And so just figuring oh, out wow. ways not to waste things has been yeah. great. And like, so um, those are the books that I think come to mind most um most um, right now because they've just been helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree on um, Marianne's book and I will be inviting um, Tom on the show. <laughs> he's the greatest. He's just so like, he's like your, he, he, I feel like he's like a big brother. You know what I mean? He just seems like such a good guy. You like, you want to hang out with him all the time, you know? <laughs> um, okay. Well, last question. What is next for you? Any, anything fun coming down the pike? Any big announcements that we need to know about? We are having our first virtual summit um, in December, so you'll be hearing more about that soon. I can't really, we're, we're announcing it soon, so yeah. stay tuned on foodtank.com, but I'm really excited about it. We have some really great speakers and some really interesting conversations that I feel, you know, I ha- touch on a lot of the things you and I have talked about, so stay tuned for that, but that'll happen yeah. in early December. Amazing. And I'll be there. Yay. (laughs) Great. All right, Danny. Well, thank you so, so much for taking time on this Sunday evening to come on the show and chat with me. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for all that you do, Jenna. You're, you're really a force of nature in this work and I I admire everything that you you do. Thank you for having these important conversations. (laughs) Thank you. I'm grinning ear to ear. You made my night. (laughs) 
Okay, we're going to have to leave it there for today. I want to give a big thanks to our sponsors. Our show engineer is the one and only Jeet Paul, and show music is by Tim Archer. All episodes of Eating Matters are available on the HRN website or as podcasts wherever they're found. And if you haven't already, please subscribe and leave me a comment. Let me know what you think. I'm Jenna Liute, and thanks for listening. Eating Matters is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right-hand side of our homepage. Thanks for listening.